Welcome to The White Bikini. Joining me today is my co-host, Nicholas Banton. How are you, Nicholas? Woohoo! I'm great, Marie. It's good to be with you once again. Getting close to your 60th birthday. I thought it was 70. In today's episode, which is, let me be clear, today is Wednesday, November 29th, 2023. And in this episode, we will discuss the appointment of the new Philadelphia Police Commissioner, Kevin Bethel. Get at it. I think this appointment is probably as important as if not more important than the mayor. Explain. The city's a shit show. Well, that's one perspective. With the crime rate, just a couple days ago, people were, uh, uh, are you probably, I'm not sure if you knew about it, but a SEPTA police officer was stabbed in the neck. Crime is an interesting phenomenon in that, yes, the, the effects are devastating, especially when people are severely injured or, or killed. But I think if you pull back and get a wider perspective, you can see that perhaps it's not necessarily a Philadelphia phenomenon, that there are factors that are going on that extend beyond the, the capacity of law enforcement. Does that make sense? That there are other cultural phenomena at work, whether it is, you know, we're coming out of the pandemic and there's this pent up rage, frustration, energy. It's, I think it's important to recognize the strengths as well as the limitations of law enforcement, but also recognize that there are forces at work that may not be within the purview of the mayor's office or the commissioner of police's office. I mean, do you agree or disagree? Now you sound like a snob and of course I agree but the everyday person is concerned about their safety and is busy working and kind of wants something done. I completely agree, but it's just just so I'm clear, because um, I just got accused of being a snub. It's not <laughs> an either or proposition. It's an and proposition. It's, it's that, an either or. I don't think if it's you're, either or. If I, you're, I, you're, you're hopping on SEPTA and they're about to go on strike, the SEPTA police and a young girl's being stabbed in the neck, we need immediate. Yeah. I 100% agree with you that there is, you know, you and I talked about it last summer. There's an energy in the world that I find very unsettling. I can't pinpoint what it is because it's almost everywhere I look now. It's not... It's not specific, but with what's happening in Israel with Hamas, and I'm not an overly religious person, as you know, but spiritually there's an evilness that I can't get a handle on. Does that sound crazy? No, because I think you represent the perspective of most people. So you're not crazy. Unless, and I agree unless, with what you the said. the world is crazy, <laughs> you know, that's it. But that's a different story. You know, and I, I do agree that just even talking to my sister today, we're just talking about, you know, groceries. Groceries are expensive. Everything is expensive. And if you are somewhat even remotely marginalized, whether by economic conditions, racial conditions, I, I can't imagine. I think that's where some of this anger is coming from. You know, there was a time and you and I've talked about this all the time that everyone in this country was comfortable when everyone knew their place. But I now every- Well, I, I, all right, I'm gonna give you the benefit of the doubt. I was about to uh, deconstruct that, but I know what you mean. So I'm gonna give yeah. you the benefit of the doubt. Let me clarify. Right. The generation that we're always making fun of, they were happier when everyone knew their place. 
fair enough. I think that is a, a more apt uh, description. Yes, it goes back to the minstrel show. There was a time, and I'm even saying for myself, that if you knew you couldn't afford something, you just didn't get it. Right. You know, then with the advent of credit cards, people that were overspending. You read my mind. I just said it's it's when we made the transition from layaway to credit cards, um, the, the economy grew. The economy grew significantly. Um, people consumed more. But I think people also, the unintended consequence or perhaps maybe not so unintended was that financial responsibility kind of went petered out the door but not to this is definitely an, uh, an important conversation but that's I, right I we're make sure talking we about the police commissioner, the police commissioner. <laughs> yeah because I, I don't want to get sidetracked okay according to billy penn from whyy there's a there's a couple layers here because i want to talk briefly about the police commissioner under mayor kenny okay because i Any think we have to understand where we were versus where we got where I, we are now i think that's a great take Mayor Kenny's first police chief, former Deputy Commissioner Richard Ross. I have to be honest, I don't even remember this, which is concerning. No clue who this person was. I remember, all I remember is that uh, Daniel Outlaw replaced somebody. So I'm assuming it was this Richard Ross person. Left in a cloud of disgrace amidst sexual harassment accusations, and after a string of other scandals, including racist ramblings on Facebook of 300 officers, including captains and lieutenants, and a narcotics officer who regularly drove to work in a car emblazoned with Confederate flag memorabilia. How do we not know about this guy? I don't know. I don't know. I think in politics, you often hear the discussion about the political pendulum. And I think sometimes after a more liberal administration is in office, political pendulum swings all the way to the right and it becomes more conservative. But let me just say this, conservatism doesn't mean racism. And I think it's not just the responsibility of liberals to to criticize conservatives when they get in bed with Confederates, racist, white supremacists. I think it's the duty of people on the right to say, no, these people are not with us. Uh, to decry them. Um, but I think that's what happens. I think the political pendulum swung all the way to the right and to the point where you can get that kind of environment. I was really startled by the Confederate flag memorabilia. I don't know how Mayor Kenny didn't know about this, but I feel like Mayor Kenny is still that old boys network. Like, remember early in the pandemic that summer, he was in Italy with his girlfriend and we'll leave that there. That's yeah, a disgrace. No, I agree with you. I think that's what it is. I think they look out for each other because they know that they don't always dot the I's and cross the T's in their lives. And I think they let things slide so that, um, you know, it's, you know, one, one hand washes the other kind of thing. But it creates this toxic, this toxic masculinity that starts to uh, spread throughout the the avenues of leadership in the city. And I think that's what that's why Mayor Kenny was so ineffective. I think the thing I think his administration pretty much died in the bathtub. I like that analogy. Richard's Ross replacement was Danielle Outlaw that I thought at the time was a good energy. I was, I was happy optimistic about Daniel Outlaw. She seemed she was younger. I definitely want someone a little younger. I I don't really want anyone 60 and over. I think no matter what your race is, 60 and over is a gray area. I like 55 and under. They yes. kind of lived in both worlds. Yes, and I think energy matters. The ability to put in consecutive 
12, 13, 14 hour days, you know, under under extreme conditions. You need that. You need the kind of energy that it takes for the city to fight its way out of desperate situations. And we are in a desperate situation. Agreed. Daniel Outlaw came in with smart, reform-minded ideas, but a few months in, first of all, she ran right into the pandemic. Agreed. During demonstrations after the murder of George Floyd, Philadelphia SWAT officers used pepper spray and tear gas on a group of peaceful demonstrators on the Vine Street Expressway, a move that outlawed, which surprised me at the time, and Kenny both initially justified and later admitted was wrong. That event and other police brutality during protests in West Philly cost the city $9.25 million. Wow, in terms of payouts for, Correct. for legal settlements, ouch. I for, you know, I don't know. I mean, if you have access, um, I, I know this is a bit of a, uh, a rabbit trail right now, but how much does the city of New York pay out in, in settlements? Is that something you could take a look at uh, and maybe get back to us before we end this episode? Yeah, I mean, I, yes, I can. Okay. All right. Anyway, what, what's on to your next point? Her tenure ended in September, shortly after the police department lied about the events leading up to Officer Mark Dial's killing of 27-year-old Eddie Izzeri within five seconds of a traffic stop encounter. That's concerning. Yeah, yeah. And that is, that's part of the disconnect, and I'm being very charitable between the community and police, is that you can't trust the police. Um, and it's it's a really wild situation because the police are the people you call when you need help. But you're not sure, especially if you live in some of these neighborhoods, A, if they're ever going to show up, and B, if they might not kill you. And I think that is a huge difference in terms of worldview between living in urban America, if your skin happens to be black or brown, versus living in the western suburbs where we do where the majority of people are middle to upper to extremely wealthy individuals. When you see a police officer, you know, you take you take a sigh of, you know, take a deep sigh of relief because you're like, oh, here's someone here to protect me. In the city, it's the opposite. The police are the predators. At least I that's did. a perception. I, sh- I should add a little bit of nuance to it. For many people in the city, the police are perceived as the predators and they are the prey. I never bring up any personal experiences between us, but we had that one experience that we probably should have pursued a lawsuit. You gotta remind me. I'll talk off mic with you. The New York Police Department, are you ready for this? In the first half of 2023, New York City paid more than $50 million in lawsuits alleging misconduct by members of the NYPD. It's just, and that's, and the reason that's why I brought it up. Um, I knew you'd be significantly bigger than Philadelphia because I think New York is the largest police force in the United States, if not the world. Their budget is bigger than some small countries, but yes. And also the, the amount of people, it, it's just very sad to me. It, it is, you know, but ultimately, I, I guess you get the point I, I was kind of striving at or striving towards. It's the malfeasance or malpractice of their duty to protect and serve. It's so egregious at times that we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars every year that are paid out to innocent citizens who suffer the consequence of their mistakes. And I'm putting mistakes in air quotes. 
because I think in many instances, these people are targeted. I, I think there there's the attitude, and this is a largely upper class, middle to upper class, majority white, but not exclusively white attitude that a few dead black teens or uh, Hispanic teens, or white teens for that matter, that's just the price of doing business. And that is the dirty secret. You know, you made allusions to the war in Palestine. And I think the attitude is, yes, Israel has a duty and an obligation to secure its population. But if that means that a few thousand Palestinian children are killed in the process, not targeted, but killed, that's just the price of doing business. And I think that is the ad- I think that is the open secret in American law enforcement. And I think that's going to be one of the challenge for any police commissioner in Philadelphia or in any city. It's that black and brown lives, black lives matter. <laughs> I wonder where that idea came from. That is the grist for the mill in order for middle class, upper middle class, majority white, but not exclusively white communities to feel safe. And I guess it's disappointing to me that we had a woman of color, a younger woman of color, that I think as soon as she got here, she realized what I think if the pandemic hadn't hit, I think she would have been more successful. I think it marginalized her ability to lead. But there's such a thing as capture theory, right? So I think what happens is that I, I made allusions to the notion of capture theory. In business, you see this all the time. Uh, lawyers that, for instance, work that who work for the Justice Department or for the IRS will often be hired by major corporations because those people are intimately familiar with the laws. And so they know how to carve out loopholes and evade regulatory restrictions on, you know, whether it is like a chemical company, you know, how many, how much toxins they can you know, pour out into the oceans and what have you. And I think it's something similar happens with police commissioners. Yes, they may be young, female. Um, they may come from ethnic backgrounds, to borrow an old term. But what happens is that they get captured by the system. And the system, and, and, and I want you to push back on me if you think I'm wrong here. The system was designed to keep middle to upper middle class feeling safe. Well, that's what I meant in the beginning where I said it incorrectly, but we have a generation of Americans that are fighting back now and they're not stopping. Meaning at the beginning when we were talking about this, this constant theft, this constant violence, the answer to stop it is find out what's driving it. And I don't know, and you are right that the police are limited. They are not psychiatrists. I don't know how we pause an entire world and look at our humanity that's quickly hourly fading. I'm startled by the stories I hear. I just think there's a cultural shift that sometimes takes place. You know, so in your field of study, you know, you are an expert on the skin. And sometimes there are toxins in the body that just needs to come out. And it comes out through the skin. Would you agree? Agreed. And sometimes it's it's an ugly phenomenon. But the process needs to play out in order for the body to heal. And Agreed. I, and I think maybe that's what we're seeing. Because it's happening all over the country and all over the world. We see this happening. And I think COVID may have been the latest infection, but there is a, there's a sickness. There's a, there's a disease in our culture, in American culture. We see this in the, with the mass shootings. We see this in the predatory behavior of both men and women. Uh, we see this in the predatory behavior of 
our business leaders or our political leaders, not just, you know, the poor black and Hispanic kids on the street breaking windows. There's there's a, a sickness in our society. And, and I'm not a nihilist. I, I don't think it's it, our society is irretrievably damaged. But I think what we're seeing is it, we just need the fever to break. And I think that's what we're going through. I can I believe that there's a light at the end of the tunnel on, under this process. But I think what's going on are uh, cultural forces, economic, um, just a multitude of macro events that are taking place that extend beyond any simple assessment of more police, less police. I think there's something bigger here that just needs to play out. I agree, but what do we do between now and then? Batten down the hatches. I mean, that's what we've always done. When the barbarians are at the gate, what did they used to do in the old world? You know, This is Mad Max Thunderdome. Yeah, I, I hate to say it, but this is what it's kind of like. Unless we're going to go, and this is, I think this is the attitude that Trump speaks to. Unless we're going to militarize the police and the, and the army to start locking up, and let's be honest, mostly black and brown kids, and maybe do summer executions, this is a thing that needs to play out. I mean, look at the 1960s with the economic and racial tensions. I mean, it kind of just burns itself out. And I, I'm not justifying the violence, but the alternative is to turn into a fascist police state. And I know for some people that's fine because the police aren't coming after them, at least not yet. Agreed. And that's what we were talking about in the beginning. It's kind of like the generation. I have friends that live outside of what I'm going to call the Philadelphia area, and they live in such a bubble that's concerning to me. Yeah. They have no idea what's happening down here. Yes. Yes, they don't. Yeah, I completely agree with you. We li- we all live in bubbles. It's just that sometimes, uh, you know, to bastardize the metaphor, I think some of our bubbles are a little bit closer to other people's bubbles. And, and so we get to see into the reality. You and I don't live in inner city Philadelphia. We're not necessarily subject to, you know, open air drug markets and people passing out high on heroin every night when we come home to her, her properties. But we're close enough so that we can see it. It's right there for us to touch and smell. I think people who live out in the western suburbs, I'd say more than half an hour outside of downtown Philadelphia, their bubble is so far removed from lives of people who live in the city that you use the Mad Max reference. I think for them, it's Mad Max. It's Thunderdome. I agree. And for me, my point of reference, you know, obviously, you know where I work. And um, a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was a Friday night, the township that you live in, a police officer came in Friday night at five o'clock exactly. It was probably two, three weeks ago. And I said, hi, how are you? He goes, good. He goes, just so you know, we are going to have a heavy police presence every Friday, Saturday and Sunday night. They literally sit there because stores are being robbed hourly. It's it's a full time job for your township to just deal with shoplifting. And I said to the officer, I said, oh, thank you. You know, that's good to know. And I said, um, I appreciate it because I'm by myself tonight with another girl. And I said, I'm a little frightened. And you know what? I give him credit. At eight o'clock, he was parked outside our door. I went, came out. I waved to him. He waved to me and he drove away. And I thought, God, this is happening in your township now. People, there's, we're getting hit every day. And I mean, basketfuls of products. People are literally just leaving with our baskets, stealing products. The famous yoga shop, you know, for clothing near Mm -hmm. us just yesterday, People left with handfuls of clothing and just walked out the door. Right, right. 
and the problem's going to become and it's going to happen. I'm waiting, God forbid, for someone to say something because a couple weeks ago, two shoplifters pulled a gun out on a security agent in King Oppression Mall. So which used to be kind of shoplifting, they'd run it. Yeah, it's, it's becoming armed robbery. And that's, I do fearful for myself and the, I don't want to say the girls, but the people I work with. Yeah. That that's the thing at King of Pressure really concerned me. The layers are coming down into what should just be people leaving and stealing is now becoming more violent. Now right. people are pulling out knives, like about the people leaving banks a couple weeks ago, they were getting held at knife point and gunpoint. That's concerning. And that's to put it mildly. Um, and they're I've just never really- had, I've never had anyone point a gun at me, but I'm sure that if someone were to do that, it would probably be one of the worst experiences of my life. I've had three guns pulled on me in my lifetime, not in a robbery setting, but in a personal setting. Right. And let me tell you, it was absolutely terrifying. And I grew up in a clean suburb. You know where I grew yeah, up. Yeah. Held at gunpoint. It was terrifying. So for me, I understand the why behind why this generation is so angry. They, in my opinion, have every right to be because the America they're coming up in is not their grandparents' America, not even their father's America. And this old, if you work hard, you do well, that's bullshit now. I don't blame them for being angry. I work with a lot of people that are very angry and guess what? They have a right to be. I've seen clients speak to them disrespectfully and didn't want their help because of the color. To be fair, it's both ways. I, I think, um, you know, I think we normally think of these experiences as a, um, as essentially kind of, uh, and just go with me on this, uh, an assault uh, white on black in terms of, you know, these racist interactions, but it goes both ways. They are black people working in black as a stand-in for racial minority groups who just do not want to interact with white people, even if you have nothing, no reason um, for that for that kind of malevolence. Um, it's just there. There is a, a tension. I think Trump fanned the flames, and the fact that Trump hasn't gone away, I think, maintains. Um, I think I think tr- Trump is fueling those antagonisms. I think Trumpism and the MAGA cult, they're both fueling those antagonisms because I think those people that live that 30, 40 minutes outside of downtown Philadelphia, they look into the city and they see that the city has problems and those all seem to be associated with people of a particular hue and Trump is giving them easy answers. And so like any other human beings, it's it's only natural that you gravitate towards simple solutions to complex problems. It, it is like the civil war all over again. I think this will end, Murray. And I think we started to talk about the police commission, but we actually <laughs> started to talk about it. It was important that we discuss the problem and we discuss the environment in which the problem exists. And, and you're so, right. A new police commissioner is not really going to make a difference. Not as dramatically as we'd hope, because and until you can... I mean, it's almost like uh, someone who has uh, some sort of destructive habit. If you, whether it's drinking, smoking, whatever it is, gambling, you can you can maybe give them, uh, take them to the doctor, give them money to pay off their gambling debt. But as long as the addiction remains, you're not really solving the problem. And I feel that that's what we do, whether it's New York, Philadelphia, Boston, Baltimore, what have you. We bring in new police commissioners. And, and I believe many of them are smart and competent, but unless we're going to turn ourselves into a police state, 
we need to address the larger macro social, if that's a word, and macroeconomic uh, realities. Everyone can't afford everything that they want, and now they're stealing it. Yes, and I think I, and part of it is we need a cultural shift. I'm not going to be the old man yelling at the TV saying, you know, mm-hmm. these kids are, look what these kids are doing. But I think there's a generation of people that are born in or, or being raised in an environment where whether it is um, social media, you know, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, whatever, where they see celebrities and influencers having these amazing lives or seemingly amazing lives and they want it too and it's not it's not possible i I don't know what the i don't know what brands are these days but like whether it's god you sound so old i know whether it's mac or gucci or louis vuitton or i don't know i don't know what the kids love these days why don't you let me talk about what the kids love these days kids like these days the kids the big thing that we have problems with at my particular employer is the fragrances it is gucci it is ysl it believe it or not it is chanel it is dior but i do think that some of this and i'm gonna call it the kim kardashian effect okay explain just you know when uh, when reality tv took over i personally am a fan of kim kardashian i think she's a badass businesswoman I think she had a lot of advantages, but what she's built, no one gave her. But I think that anymore, with the advent of TikTok and Instagram, everyone wants to be their own brand now. Mm -hmm. No one really wants to work for a corporation because corporations are suffocating and they do take away your personal autonomy. I was very startled a couple weeks ago. I was talking to a coworker. And she said, she said, where we work is basically a slave ship. Yeah. And also, I think people have woken up and I think this is a post-pandemic reality is that they're getting crumbs. You know, a CEO. Yes, most CEOs work very hard. I, I will give that to, to, to most CEOs. Most CEOs, whether it's the idea or the financing, you know, the business proposal, the, the execution of the business plan, most CEOs work really, really hard, but not 300 times harder than their average staff worker. And I think I think people are waking up to the fact that the system is rigged, the system is unfair, and no amount of hard work will get them to the kind of life that they think they need or, or they think they deserve. And I think, especially when you're 21, in your 20s or 30s or whatever, you just don't care anymore because you, in a, in a weird way, I think kids today recognize our economic system as a legalized form of exploitation. And so they don't care because they're like, the corporations are stealing from us. So what happens? So what's the big deal if we steal from them? I, I hear that all the time. And, you know, people, you can't run a corporation without people working together for a common goal. Younger people, and whether they're right or wrong, this is really not the, what we're discussing today. You know, as soon as everything is about them, there's no, there's no we. It's, it's, there's no, um, collaboration doesn't exist anymore. No collective effort. There's no collective effort. Now, I won't say me personally that I've experienced that, but there's definitely the sense, and I do think it's with the advent of reality TV. And you and I have talked about this. You know, if you sit in a break room, everyone's not talking to each other. Mm-hmm. 
They're listening to hopefully our podcast. Mm-hmm. Listening to books. There's no communication of like, oh, hey, you know, what do you have for lunch? Or, you know, talking about your family. I'm not a lunchroom fan. I'm more isolated, but I try to talk to people. But I, you know, you there's definitely a disconnect. People shop now with earbuds. And when you say, hi, how are you today? They don't even look at you and they ignore you. Mm-hmm. And then when they need your help, they come up very disparagingly. They're like, can you show me where this is? Even though they've been there for a half hour, everyone's isolated with the earbuds, the headphones. It's very concerning. There is no collaborate, collaborative we any longer. Yeah. And this speaks to the larger um, social milieu uh, that I think drives some of this problem. You know, this isn't simply law enforcement. It seems like it's the only stick we have is to lock black people up, shoot them. Seems like it's the only uh, solution. But I wish this current uh, police commissioner the best of luck. I guess we're done because we didn't go over who he is. <laughs> well, we got sidetracked. Who is? Tell us a little okay. bit more about this man. We'll fast track this. Bethel will take over Kevin Bethel, the newly elected police commissioner of Philadelphia, will take over a department that is short about 900 officers that has too often fallen short of its duty to serve and protect over the last several years, that is struggling to build up trust in the communities that most need police, that must build that trust through fighting crime and also allowing other service providers to step in when appropriate, when officers are represented by a union that applauds abusive cops, that fights successfully to keep bad cops in their jobs and that is loath to change. Long story, who he is, he rose through the ranks over decades with the police department from 1986 to 2016. He's very vocal on juvenile justice and he spearheaded a program credited with breaking Philly's school to prison pipeline. That's a major accomplishment right there because it's that whole third grade phenomenon where I believe there is a predictive element that can be derived from the number of students that fail or repeat the third grade. Some of those kids almost, uh, I forget what the level of certainty is, will wind up in the criminal justice system. And based on those statistics, you can start predicting 15 years into the future, the number of prison cells that you might need and the number of police officers. With school safety falling under his purview as deputy PPT commissioner, Bethel came up with the ideal for the Philadelphia Police School Diversion Program, which shifted away from zero tolerance policies and towards paths involving social services instead. That's yeah, good. That That is good. And I think it's, it's a brave move because I think a lot of people, I guess I've been picking on the people that live outside downtown Philadelphia. There are a lot of people in the city who probably have the same attitudes as those people who live out in the Western suburbs where there should be a zero tolerance. It's not effective. It, it's, it's good talk. It's good rhetoric. It's good politics. It might even be good optics. But at the end of the day, people you lock up eventually come out. So unless you're going to start doing like Judge Dredd summary executions on the scene for all crimes where the where the cops are, the judge, jury and executioners, zero tolerance policies are not going to be effective. We think that these kids are going to be scared. But if you're 14, 15 years old and you're strong arm robbing or committing grand larceny in department stores, you're probably not that scared. So 
all you're going to do is just delay, just push it down and push another generation of kids into the criminal justice system. Meanwhile, new kids come and take their place and you haven't really solved the problem. All you've done is just fed your 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 prison system. His current he's currently the chief of school safety for the school district Philadelphia and his overall vision for the department what has steered away district safety officers away from barking and screaming and hollering and cuffing. Yeah, these kids are, are traumatized. I mean, many of these kids are broken from the time they're 10, 11, 12 years old. Oh, excuse me, 10, 11, 12. By the, from the time they're six, seven, eight years old, some of these kids are broken. So the idea of tough love, daddy knows best kind of uh, approach, I'm not necessarily saying you should swing the other way and be completely accommodating, but I, I just I think a lot of people watch too much TV and they think that if you are tough and strong and you know you you are punitive, that will solve the problem. Clearly, that has not been the solution. So I think it's an all of the above approach. I, I, I think you do need strong, disciplined uh, leaders, but I think you also need accommodating, supportive resources. And I'm encouraged to hear that he at least has a philosophy that I think makes sense. He said at the beginning of his tenure that he would implement officers training in adolescent development and trauma. Yes. And direct a focus to de-escalation. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and also these cops are traumatized, too. I mean, I I know I'm probably a little less uh, sympathetic towards them because I think they're trained public uh, safety officials who are given resources. But, you know, you you are a beat cop. You see a lot of horrible things. You see the worst of humanity. Literally every day you go in and your job is to protect innocent citizens from the worst, from their worst instincts um, in the community. And I think that causes, that takes a toll on you. That that changes you. It makes you less empathetic, less compassionate, less considerate. It makes you quicker to draw your gun and pull a bullet in someone because you're operating on these stereotypes. The shift in philosophy has faced some criticism, particularly when students return to school after the pandemic closures, with some officers and administrators saying students are behaving badly and not seeing sufficient consequences and officers shortages have complicated matters too. The one thing I do like, I am old school about this. He has been in the Philadelphia area at least since high school. Sherelle Parker has said that a priority for her when choosing a police commissioner was to find someone that would not need a GPS to make it to 57 and market if that's where they need to go. Yeah, that means someone who really knows the community, knows the people you know, knows how to navigate the neighborhood, both, you know, sort of geographically, but also culturally. Even before his lengthy experience as a Philly officer, Bethel would have been sad. He would have satisfied that requirement. He went to school at John Bartram High School, a southwest Philly neighborhood, about three and a half south of the L's 52nd Street Station. He stayed in the area after graduation. He earned a bachelor's degree in criminal justice from Chestnut Hill in Northwest Philly and a Master of Science in Public Safety Management from St. Joe's University. I like this. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, listen, I, at the end of the day, like, I think you and I are very honest about the problems that we see in the city, but we're not hopeless. At least I'm not. Um, I like to think that I'm realistic. So I'm willing to give this new police commissioner every chance because I think he is, he recognizes a major opportunity that a lot of these problems arise at the intersection of the 
Department of Education and the criminal justice system. And the one thing I will say is why he might not have that physical stamina that's necessary. I do think he's in the age group of maturity, wisdom, and patience that's going to be important to the next phase that we're heading into. Right. You can get someone young to run around for you. Let's hope. Who's your sponsor, Murray? Our sponsor today is the Shops on Market Street. Woo-hoo! Did you get your haircut yet? I look fabulous. Of course I did. The Shop on Market Street is Westchester's premier barbershop providing the freshest cuts and yet the biggest smiles. It doesn't matter if you're 8 to 80. They're happy to help. They do a lot of younger children's haircuts. The boys are very happy when they leave. Their address is 134 East Market Street, Westchester, Pennsylvania. Please follow them on Instagram. You can book any information. You can send them a chat and they're happy to help you. Thank you for joining us today on The White Bikini. And please make sure to follow us on any podcast platforms, whether it be Apple, Spotify, and please follow us on our new updated Instagram page. Thank you for joining us today. Happy birthday, Nick. Thank you, Marie.